afternoon, everybody. Amen. 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 Can we praise the Lord again for raising up a new pastor? I'm looking forward to digging into God's word together uh, with you all this afternoon. So for those of you all who are joining us for the first time, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you all for, for coming through and, and worshiping with us. Uh, just to give you a little, you know, lay of the land, we've been in a sermon series on our statement of faith uh, called What We Believe Together. So our statement of faith is a list of beliefs and what we believe together as a church. And really, what we've done from the top of the year, the beginning of the year, is we've uh, designated some time to uh, think about and talk about the church, and then now also walking through our statement of faith, what we believe, and then Lord willing, sometime in the future, we hope to walk through our church covenant. And our church covenant are promises that we've made together uh, as a membership. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to continue uh, in the next statement that's listed, brought read back uh, before the sermon. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, let me get you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and uh, they'll be popped up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, uh, we have some Bibles here that you can grab uh, and use. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one uh, as a gift uh, for you. And before we dig in, let me pray again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this time to gather uh, around your word. Um, God, I just pray uh, that you would minister to us in, in every way that you deem best and see fit. Uh, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Uh, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease uh, and that you would get the glory out of all that's said uh, in this time. Uh, be pleased, Lord, with uh, the preaching of your word. And God, I pray that you would do something in us, Lord, uh, that that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would convict us even, uh, that you would draw us to repentance and faith in you, uh, trust and hope in you, uh, that you would comfort us, Lord, uh, by your word, uh, that you would yeah, give, us, give us hope, give us peace, Lord, in the midst of so much that's going on in all of our lives, Lord, uh, just so many different things that, that is happening, Lord, even with members who, who aren't with us, uh, right now, Lord. So I just pray that you would be with them and be with us, and, uh, that you would uh, yeah, glorify yourself in our time. Let your word do the work in all of our hearts in any way you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, reads as follows. Uh, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is God's word, amen? Amen. 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 So just a little context on the book of Galatians is that uh, the Apostle Paul is the author. 
So Paul uh, yeah, is an apostle. Uh, he's a leader uh, in planting churches in this time. Uh, we know this. As Christians, we know that Paul wasn't always this. He Before Christ, he was someone who opposed Christ, like all of us, right? Uh, but then Christ gripped his heart and gave him a passion and a desire to know him and to make him known. And he's writing to others who know him and are seeking to make him known uh, in the churches of Galatia. So Galatia is a region of Central Asia Minor, uh, which is now the modern-day Turkey, right? Uh, and a, a lot like in the other letters that Paul has written, uh, he's writing to churches to combat false teaching. So there's false teachings that is trying to enter into the church or has entered into the church, and he's writing to the churches in Galatia uh, to encourage them to rid themselves of these false teachings, uh, to not give in to the teachings that have crept in or are trying to creep in. So Paul, in the beginning of the book, says, yo, he says, yo, if, if him or anyone else or even an angel comes through preaching a, a, a different gospel that they hadn't preached, uh, let those false teachers be accursed. So he says in Galatians 1, all right? Let them be accursed. That's a strong word. He says, he says yo, like, like, I've come preaching the true gospel. You guys have received the true gospel. And what is that true gospel? That Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, he has been buried in the grave and raised from the dead so that we might have life. He says, yo, like that is the good news. That is the gospel message that has saved you, that has gripped you, and that you're being changed by, and that you are proclaiming to others. If someone comes through preaching something else that is not that, let them be cursed. Let them be cursed. So in this case, there was a group called the Judaizers, and these Judaizers uh, believed and were trying to get others to believe that they could be made right with God by keeping the law. This is what they believed. Uh, that by just doing what the law says not to do, that based on that, that they could enter into heaven. This is what the Judaizers believed, that, that if you keep the law, if you just do what the law says, that you can be saved. You can enter into heaven. Paul writes to the churches in Galatia to clear that up. To clear that up. So if I had to summarize this passage, if you're writing notes or you're putting it in your phone, however you might be doing that, to summarize this passage, it may go something like this. We are not justified by fulfilling works of the law, but by faith in the Lord. Again, we are not justified. We are not declared righteous. We are not made right with God by fulfilling works of the law, but by solely having faith in the Lord. So this is the main idea, and this main idea broken down will serve as our two points this afternoon. Here they are, point one. We are not justified by fulfilling works of the law. We'll see that in verses 10 through 12. Number two, we are justified by faith in the Lord justified by faith in the Lord. We'll see that in the last two verses, verses 13 to 14. So let's look at the first one together. Number one, we are not justified by fulfilling works of the law. Look back with me at verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Again, remembering the context where the Judaizers, these false teachers, are promoting reliance upon the works of the law to trust in what the law says and to just do those things and that will get you into heaven or make you right with God. Paul comes through and he suflexes that. He suplexes that idea, those types of teachings on its head, beginning in verse 10. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So for those who are relying, they are trusting solely in the works of the law to fulfill those things, they are under a curse. The law here is referring to God's law. We're talking about God's law. We're talking about his commandments, right, that he gave to his people then and has given to us now out of love to keep them and to keep us in his love. That's what it is. Like these commandments were giving out of love to his people to keep them in his love and to keep us in his love. So we find these commandments uh, in Exodus chapter 20. They were given to Moses, right? Uh, these commandments, as you might already know, commandments like there should be no other gods before him, right? Uh, you should not worship any graven images or anything of, of those sorts as God, right? Uh, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't commit murder, right? These are some of the commandments that are listed in Exodus chapter 20. But again, in keeping with the context of the false teachers in this time, they were relying on those plus other laws and customs that they had put in place for themselves that God didn't tell them necessarily to keep, right? Uh, this is what they did, and, and you've been with us you know, prior, we, we looked at and saw you know, in Jesus' day, uh, the Sadducees, right? Another religious group, and the Pharisees, right? Who also, uh, yeah, for the Pharisees were religious leaders who also, yeah, upheld the law, uh, and, and they also, similar to the Judaizers, uh, were seeking to keep the law, and uh, they believed that by just keeping the law and doing what the law says, that, that you could be made right with God. And what they also did is they had the law, but they put things around the law. They put a fence around the law and said, all right, yo, keep the law, and here's some extra stuff to do. Here's some other things to do around the law to help you keep that law. Right? And really, essentially, what happens is they become legalists. They're legalists. Right? Uh, they believe that this is all they need to do to be made right with God. Where God has given them what they need to do to be in right standing, to keep in right standing with God. I think I was thinking about this. I was reflecting on like these Judaizers or Pharisees. They're, they're kind of like overachievers, right? And you guys may have had some overachievers in school, right? Uh, or in life, or you might know some people who might be overachievers. Now again, I'm not in any way saying that we shouldn't do things with excellence. Right? We want to do things with excellence. We want to give everything our best. We want to, yeah, we want to yeah, work hard. But you know the type of people where the teacher says, hey, I just want you to write your name at the top. I just want you to write your name at the top of this paper. I just want you to do these particular things on this page. I want you to do the project this way. 
And then you have those overachievers that say, you know what, I, I'm gonna do this, and man, I'm gonna make this thing out of this. I'm gonna fold this. I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna do all. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna draw an amazing picture, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna send this to the teacher. I'm gonna do this project. I'm gonna add another project to it. And essentially, what is going on? Similarly, in some ways, this is what the Judaizers are doing. This is what the Pharisees are doing. God has already given to His people what they are to do. Right? Abide by this. Love me essentially, and abide by these things. They've added other things, which essentially is not the good news of Christ. This is, this is not the gospel. This is not what God has called us to do. So they were trying to get others to keep all these rules and regulations as if, as if this made them right with God. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Instead, Paul said, those who try to do this, again, are under a curse. Paul here is reflecting uh, back to the book of the law. He mentions that in the text. He's, he's reflecting on the book of the law to then dispel the wrong outworkings of the law, right? So he takes them to Deuteronomy 27, 26 to prove his point. So listen to Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. It says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the peoples shall say, Amen. Right? So this is Deuteronomy 27, 26. This curse, as you see in the text, came upon anyone. Came upon anyone who didn't keep the law, who couldn't do all of what the law said, and who couldn't confirm the law in living. Right? So here's the law. They couldn't do all of what the law said in their life. They couldn't keep it because it's impossible to, to keep the law in and of ourselves. Right? Jeremiah eleven three. He says, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant. So you can see the prophet Jeremiah plucking that same thread, affirming what God has said surrounding his loss. So what is this curse? What is the curse? Well, the curse is death. The curse is death. Ezekiel 18 verse 4, it says, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Shall die. This is the curse. This curse really points back to the beginning of the Bible, right? Where our first parents, Adam and Eve, messed it all up for all of us, right? They screwed it all up for all of us, right? They fell to obey God and do what he said. They were cursed and cast out of the presence of God. And everyone who has been born since then has been born under the curse, has been born with a defect. We've all been born uh, with a, a, a disposition that is in opposition towards God. We don't, we don't, we're not born loving God. We're actually born hating God. The very one who has given us life, the very one who created us to worship him and to love him and to adore him. We're all considered castaways at birth. Listen to Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, 
forgiveness. So death spread to all men because all sin. You know, that's, that's you. That's me. We're all sinners. None of us are squeaky clean. None of us have it all together. None of us have it all right. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. This is who we are. It's our identity apart from Christ that we are sinners. And what the Judaizers didn't understand about the law is that the law was meant to show us our need for God, not to, yeah, not to become a God, right? This is, what it, this is what they didn't understand. This is what they couldn't grasp. They couldn't grasp that here's why God gave us the law. One, to, to, to worship and obey him out of love. And this law is to show us, to point us to our need for him, not to become a God in and of itself, to worship, to live by, and to keep rules and regulations and standards. That has become their God. Not the God of the heavens, of the universe, not the God who gave them the law, but the law itself has become God for them. Right? And that's what they didn't understand. That's what they sought to live by. So, if you're here this afternoon and you understand yourself not to be a Christian, uh, please know that, that this is not the law. It is not by being a good person. It is not by doing good deeds, right, that will make you right with God. It is not by helping the elderly across the street. It is not by doing any of these types of good deeds or good works or anything along those lines that will make you right with God. You and I can only be made right with God by God, by him. And he made this way possible through his son, Jesus, who is God. This Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead in your place and in my place, offering us life, eternal life, if we would turn from our sin today and receive him by faith, receive him by trust today. And the Bible says once you do that, you can be saved. You can be forgiven and cleansed of all your sin by trusting in Jesus Trusting in what he has done alone. So, looking back at the text, Paul makes this point clear in verse 11, right? What does it say? It says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Right? So, basically, Paul says there, he says, Trying to keep the law in an effort to receive righteousness, it won't happen. It's not going to happen. You, you, you come into the law, striving to keep the law on the basis of you think that the law is going to produce righteousness, is going to produce rightness with God, a relationship with God. It won't happen. It won't. It will not. We receive righteousness only by faith. Only by faith. Paul here is quoting uh, Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Where he says there, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. 
This is what Paul is pulling the thread on, this Old Testament truth uh, about God making relationship possible with him by faith, by trust, by belief in him. So our faith is a, a, is a faith walk, right? It's a faith walk every step of the way. We do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith, right? That's not a blind faith, and it's not an alone faith. It's God's faith that he produces, that he grants to us to give us eyes to see him, to give us ears to, to hear him, and to walk with him. We are saved by faith, and we are to live by faith. And it's through faith that we receive righteousness, his righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that comes from outside of us, that God gives to us. This is Paul's whole point. This is his whole point here. So Paul continues to pull on that thread that righteousness comes through faith, not by fulfilling works of the law. Listen to verse 12. It says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Again, the Judaizers think that by their works they can worship God. Right? That by living out the law, they will find life. But Paul continues to combat this false teaching. And I love how the New Living Translation, just another translation of the Bible, uh, puts this verse, it says, this way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. You see that re rendering? You hear that rendering? That what we're talking about, the faith that we have in Jesus, is a whole entire different faith than what's considered under the law. Right? So it's a, it's a whole other way, a, a better way, the best way of working out how we are to live in Christ. That, that the law does not, although the Judaizers thought it, the Pharisees and others thought it, think it, that they think that this is going to produce life, but it actually produces death. Christ is the only one who can provide life and grant us life. And he has done that in and through himself. He caused us to receive him, to receive his life. Now, in case anyone is wondering if Paul was against the law, no, he, he wasn't against the law. Uh, he believed the law and sought to keep the law in its appropriate place. And what is that appropriate place? As a tool that points to Jesus. A tool that points to Jesus. And Jesus also was a, a champion of the law, but he too, being God himself, who gave the law, kept the law in its appropriate place by himself obeying it perfectly, never slipping, never falling, never sinning, and fulfilling it, doing it in our place. Listen to Matthew 5, 17. Pastor Brock read that earlier in the service, but listen to it again. This is Jesus. He says, 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is what Jesus has done. That all of the laws, everything in the Old Testament, the Old, Te the Old Testament, all of the, the commands that God gave to his people, Jesus kept it. Jesus fulfilled it. So, so I, Pastor Mark Dever and others have, have coined it this way. They said, they said the Old Testament is, is promises made. The New Testament is promises kept. Right? This is exactly what Jesus has done. The Old Testament promised that the Messiah would come. Promised that this Jesus would come. He did come. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law. So everyone that is in him yeah, receives a, a, a record, a, a, a clean record, right? When we come to Christ, it is as if we... <coughs> As Christ have kept the law, but we are trusting in Christ who kept the law for us. Y'all with me? This is what Christ has done. We are made right by Christ, which leads to our second and final point. So, number one, we are not justified by works of the law. But number two, and lastly, we are justified by faith in the Lord. We've been kind of teetering over that already, but we're going to drive a little more into that now. That we are declared righteous only by faith in the Lord. Look back with me at verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Again, Paul has been saying this from the jump. This is what he's been arguing from really the entire book, but, but particularly in the beginning of chapter 3, that we are declared righteous by faith in Christ. We are not declared righteous, not made right by faith in and of ourselves. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in God. Faith in the Lord. Right? And so, why? why? How, how is this possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus provides us redemption. Because Jesus provides us redemption. You see that in the text? That word there, that Christ redeemed. So redeemed here means to be brought back. That's what the word means. It means to be, to be brought back. So, so God forbid if, if you or, or myself were, were held hostage or something along those lines by some evil robbers or criminals, we're held hostage, right? And they're trying to get our money, they're trying to get our bread, they're trying to get everything that we own. When they call a family member or a friend, they say, they say, hey, I'm not gonna let Josh go. I'm not gonna let Liz go. I'm not gonna let Nicole go. I'm not gonna let Natasha go, anybody go, unless you pay for their freedom. Unless you give me money. Unless you give me what I am wanting in exchange for their freedom, for our freedom, to redeem us, to buy us back. This is what Christ has done. Because our sin, we didn't have any robbers holding us hostage. We didn't have, you know what I mean, anything along those lines holding us hostage or anything along, along those lines, but we did have sin holding us hostage. Our sin 
held us hostage, holds us hostage, and we were under the curse of the law, destined for God's judgment until God sent his son as a one-man hostage rescue team to free us from the captivity of sin, Satan, and judgment. How did he do this? How, how did he do this? Well, the text says he became a curse for us. He became a curse for us. So in the Old Testament, anyone who was hung on a tree was a sign to everyone who looked on from afar or close up that that person hung on a tree is cursed by God. That person is, he's hung up on a tree, he must be cursed. He is cursed by God. That God is not with that person. That he or she was godless, written off, hopeless, and doomed for destruction. Listen to Deuteronomy 21-23. It says, His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament here in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, right? Acts 5.30 says here, it says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, so raised him from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So Jesus became a curse for us. When he was hung up on the cross, the tree, you know, the cross was made out of wood, a tree, he looked to the Jews like he was done. That God was not with him. But they didn't realize that he was actually God. He seemed to have been written off, but it was written in the scriptures that this was the will of the Lord to crush his son. He seemed to be hopeless, but in his life, death, and resurrection, he provides hope. His body was destroyed when he was on the cross. He was, he was beaten badly, battered. I mean, this was, this was the worst kinds of ways to die. To be, to be punched, to be spit on, to be mocked body already close to death and to then be hung up on a cross where they didn't put nails in his feet and his hands hung him up his body was destroyed weak and he looked to be heading to destruction but in him death was destroyed those who are in him will not see destruction this is good news this is what Jesus did by becoming a curse for us. Paul writes elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he puts it this way, he says, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, God, makes Jesus to be sin. But Jesus knew no sin because darkness is not in him. He's God. 
he knew no sin, but he became sin, so that in him, we, those who put our trust in him, might become the righteousness of God, that we might receive righteousness. So the blessed one was cursed for us, so that we might experience his ultimate blessing, salvation. This is the good news. This is the gospel that that God created us in his image after his likeness to worship him. But we have not worshipped him. We have failed to worship him. Instead, we have worshipped ourselves. We've worshipped other things. We've worshipped money. We've worshipped sports. We've worshipped relationships. We've worshipped all these different things in the place of God, where only God is to be in the place of worship and adoration. And because of our lack of worship towards him, we are destined, we, we will receive his wrath that is due to us because we have turned our eye to, away from him and have turned to other things. Because of that, we deserve his wrath. We deserve to be eternally separated from him. And that is the the road, that is the path that anyone is on who doesn't know the Lord right now. That you are not in a good place. You are not heading in the right direction. You're heading in a direction of destruction, of hell, to be eternally separated from God. But God sends his son Jesus to come and to, to, to help you U-turn. To help you turn in a different direction. To turn in the right direction. And that direction being him, himself. And Jesus coming and living a perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law fully and completely and perfectly. But he was treated as a criminal. Where again, as I've already mentioned, he was crucified on the cross for our sin. He was buried in the grave. He didn't stay there long. On the third day, he was raised from the dead with all power and dominion, offering us hope and life in him. So this is the good news that I want to hold out to anyone who doesn't know the Lord, that you can know the Lord today, that today can be the day of salvation for you if you would turn from your sin, turn from reliance upon self and turn to Christ and rely upon what he has done alone. And the Bible says once you do that, you can be saved. So trust him. Receive him by faith today. For those of us who have done that, may we keep doing that. This is our only hope. Our only hope. So this blessing of salvation is what Paul gets at in verse 14. So if you look there with me in verse 14, something that was, was promised to Abraham was fulfilled in Christ. Here's what it says. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit 
through faith. So Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by fulfilling it. And this was to fulfill the promise made to Abraham back in Genesis for the Jews then and now the Gentiles. So Gentiles just means non-Jews, those who are not ethnically Jew, which is all of us. This promise is found in Genesis 12, 2. It says here, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then in Genesis 15, verse 6, you see that Abraham believed God by faith. And it was by his faith that it was counted to him as righteousness. Listen to Genesis 15, verse 6. It says, he believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So everything that God said that he would do by, by promising that they would indeed have a child, him and Sarah, in their old age, that they would have a child, and that Abraham would be the father of many nations, was fulfilled here. And Abraham believed him. He trusted God. So what does this mean? What this means, because Abraham had faith in God, he believed what God said he would do, and in doing so, God's righteousness was credited to him. Right? So it's credited to Abraham. It was imputed. That's a fancy theological word. It just means it was credited to him, that it was given to him, that, that Abraham didn't have righteousness, but God gave him righteousness by faith in him. And that this blessing of faith is now made possible to all who believe God by faith in Christ. That they'll be saved that they'll receive his spirit. So this has been Paul's whole argument from the beginning, as we've been thinking about, right? That, again, no one is made right with God by doing the works of the law, by just keeping the law. We are made righteous by trust, by belief in Jesus. Listen to Galatians 3. 7 through 9 as we come to a close. It says here, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith do you hear that this is, this is the promise this is the promise that was fulfilled in Christ that was promised to Abraham this text says that the gospel was proclaimed beforehand to Abraham. And this gospel was fulfilled in Christ, made available to all of us if we believe upon Christ, we will receive 
rightness with God, relationship with God, apart from the law. So just a few applications, then we'll wrap up. Just some ways to apply this as we go from here today, go into the week and weeks ahead or so forth. Number one, Christians, saints, you and I were not declared righteous by what we do for God, but what God has done for you. Let that sink continuously in your mind. That it's not on the basis of what you can do that you were saved on the basis of not in that you did it all, but all on what Christ has done alone. So then, as you are striving to be holy, as you are striving to do the will of the Lord, again, if you are saved, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of his works alone, trust that his works will be worked out in you as you pursue holiness. Receive and trust and rest in his works to produce the sanctification in you that you are looking for and desiring. It is not by doing these particular things as a routine. Now, again, we want to, we want to, yeah, we want to spend time in God's word. So I'm not saying that like you want to, but and you want to do that because of your love for God, right? That is not a duty. What happens is when it becomes routine, uh, or when it becomes something that we are like checking off on a list, that becomes a duty for us. Something that we're like, yo, like, like, I have to do this. Whereas on the opposite end of it, it's like, no, I get to do this. I get to do this. That's a different perspective, right? And so again, that, that comes by reminding ourselves of the gospel that saved us, that is sustaining us, and that will ultimately save us on that day. That your righteousness was produced, was granted by God not by anything that you did or will do. Number two, again, saints, we are to keep God's commandments. I don't want anybody to walk out here and think that we aren't to keep God's word, to keep his law. No. We are to keep God's word, his law, his commandments, but we keep them by loving Jesus, not by just striving to live the commandments. Love, live. We keep the commandments in love, out of our love for God, not by just living the commandments. That makes sense? Here's some text to back it up. John 14, 15. If you love me, this is Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, if you love him, you will do it. This is something you will do. You will strive to do it out of your love for him. You with me? 1 John 5, 2 through 3, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So John, the same author of the text I just read in John 14, wrote 1 John. And he says, By this we know that we love the children of God. So, so by this we know that we love other saints, other Christians, when we love God and obey his commandments. So even a, 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 a missional sense there that, that our love is a witness. So we know that we love other children of God when we first and foremost love God, obey his commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments. And guess what? That his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Man, isn't that good news? I mean, just think about that for a second. It was a burden for the Jews. It was a burden, like, for the Judaizers, for the Pharisees, it was a burden. They were trying daily, striving, failing to keep something that they could not keep. And then Christ comes and he keeps it all fully, faithfully for us. And for anyone who turns to him, we now, we keep the law of Christ. We keep step with Christ. And that is not burdensome. That's freeing. What Christ has done freed us. Freed us from trying to fix ourselves. Freed us from trying to work it on, work it all out ourselves, to, to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps. No, God freed us from that in Christ. It's in Christ now that we, as we strive to live rightly before him. We, we look to the righteous one, the, the one who is right. We look to him. We trust him and what he has done. And therefore we didn't live right. Y'all with me? That makes sense. Number three, lastly, for anyone who is, isn't a Christian, again, receive Jesus by faith today. No matter how good you think you are, in comparison to a good and holy God is not even close. It's not close. No matter what good works you've done in life or will do in life, they will not get you into heaven. Only by trusting in the works of Christ will you be accepted into heaven. Again, it's not based on anything that you can do to achieve the salvation that you desire or need. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says... For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, <clears throat> we are saved by grace through faith alone, not by our works. And so in conclusion, in conclusion, there is a harmony between the law and the gospel. Here's the harmony, as you've been tracking with me throughout, is that the law reveals our need for God. The gospel grants relationship with God. Two work together. Two go hand in hand. The law reveals our need. And this gospel is the gospel. It is Christ who then grants us the relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you for your statutes. We thank you for, yeah, uh, every word on the pages of scripture uh, that produces life, not death. And Lord, as we've been just thinking about uh, the harmony between the law and the gospel, um, just thinking about, yeah, Lord, how you have set this all up, how you have designed all of this, Lord, that the law was given out of love to keep us in your love. And it is the gospel that keeps us in your love. It is the gospel that reveals your love. And it is the gospel 
that saves us in your love, that sustains us in that love. And so, God, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us to, to, to be there, to, to be in your love, uh, to know your love, to cherish your love, and to share your love to all who we come in contact with. Thank you for the truth of your word. As we go from here, Lord, uh, as we continue to worship you and go from here, Lord, I pray that you would just bless uh, the remainder of our time, that you'll be pleased and made much of. We love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.